In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Wow, hello, all you beautiful people out there across the world. How you doing? It is untethered live bible study on a monday night welcome to the show i'm your host jake johnson and this will be monday night for the remainder of the evening how are you good to see you good to be back home in the studio c ready to rock and roll ready to make all your dreams come true or you know read some stuff something we're gonna do something hey everybody in the chat welcome amanda h b j april rain Lisa Reen, Amanda gets the gold star. She's the first person to speak in the chat. And that's how it works. I don't know what you're going to do with that gold star, but if you save up enough of them, there's a free cup of coffee in it somewhere. Maybe. Tonight's episode is brought to you by this hot cup of coffee and the letter V and the number, the square root of two. Whatever that is. Mm. How are you? How's the weather where you're at? Is it raining? Is it sunny? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it overcast? It's nice here. Nice and hot. Beautiful summer day. Breeze blowing. Sun licking the ground. Riding the Harley across the green pastures. Can't beat it. It's lovely. I wish you could see it. It's fantastic. Maybe I'll make a video. April, how are you, sweetheart? Good to see you. Thank you all for being here so bright and early and chipper and ready to go. I'm happy. Um, we're in the first book of Samuel, chapter 27, verse 7. That's where we left off Sunday night, and that's where we're going to pick up Monday night right here on Untethered Live. It's hot, wet, and humid. Sounds like my ex-wife. Hmm. I'm sorry. Got lost there for a minute. I bet it's lovely. Florida's a nice place this time of year. A lot of, lot of crime, a lot of crazy people, but a lot of cool people, too. April says, I'm okay. Yeah, what Amanda said. Hot, wet, and humid. Ugh, blech. Lisa Reen says, hiya, Amanda, April, and Jake. April says, I love this introduction. Thank you, sweetheart. I worked on that rather hard. I'm glad you like it. I'm, I need to redo it, though. It's got some discrepancies in the title card. But I'm getting there one of these days. I'm a slacker. Can't help it. It's in my blood. I'm lazy and irresponsible, but I'm hung like a mule and I ride a Harley. A little mule, but a mule nonetheless. April says, we had, I think, one nice evening. It wasn't human, humid, but a cool breeze. It was amazing. Yes. Lovely. Lovely, lovely. 
now you got those uh, tropical storms pushing in. Pretty soon it's going to be throwing tornadoes and hurricanes and everything else at you. That's when I say you don't need to live in Florida. Hurricane season. But those people are die-hard, ride-or-die folks. They're like, I'm not leaving. My trailer has been standing here for 27 years. It ain't going nowhere now. I'm leaving. That's what I'm doing. I'm getting to North Carolina where it's safe. And you only get flooded every 10 years. Shh, don't say that, says April. Yes, let's not let's not wish ill will. Although I hear California is getting pummeled by Hurricane Hillary, which I think is hilarious. And they deserve it. So good on you. Sweet a hurricane party. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what my dad would do and say, LOL, says April. Yeah, because I ain't leaving. I put this patio down 30 years ago. These stones in front of my trailer. I'm not leaving. Fab Daddy. What's up, buddy? Good to see you, my friend. Blood out SoCal. Yes. Let's get rid of Let's just uh, take a hammer and knock California off the coast. And, uh, you know, get some sandpaper and shape it up. And Nevada can be our new west coast or whatever whatever's closest to california i don't even know mm. i'm excited it's going to be a good read tonight and i apologize for missing monday night but i had to spend some time with my sister and uh turned out it was quite nice we had a good podcast good turnout lots of folks showed up it was hilarious if you didn't see it you missed something good i wish it were that simple says april you wish what was that simple? Oh, just knocking off California? Yeah, it's not that simple. They're going to be there a while. Although it would be hilarious if they seceded from the United States and became their own country because there's like 100 U.S. military bases in California. So if they secede, they're not taking the military bases. Those will still be U.S. soil, as they are in other countries, which is hilarious because we won't have to invade them. We're already there. So what are they going to do? That's why they haven't seceded, by the way, because they can't, because it wouldn't make any difference. But it's still funny to think about, though. Amanda said, I had a blast Monday night. Thank you. So did I. Fab Daddy says, I missed the two lips already. Well, if you weren't paying attention, you did. I got them in my mind. Lisa Reen, how are you doing tonight? You hadn't said much. How are things? Are you doing well? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling saucy? Ready to brain on some biblical inferences? Me too, says April. Had a blast on Monday night. It was a good, good podcast. Considering I had a crappy camera and a bad microphone and flowers behind my head. Other than that, it was fantastic. Had a good cup of coffee that night. April says, Lisa, what's up, love? How are you? I think she might be mad at me. She ain't talking. There she is. I am at work as usual, but I'm listening. Well, good. Well, you knock it dead over there. Show them who's boss. Show them who, who they can't live without. Lisa Reen. 
Lisa Reen, meanest damn whatever you do that I've ever seen. I did know, but I forgot. It's either a teacher or a janitor or a gardener. I don't know which. Either way, probably neither one. I'm rooting for you, though. You got it. I got. I can tell. Mm. Good cup of coffee. I hate to waste it. I have a bad habit of making me a nice hot cup of coffee and then letting it sit there until it's cold because I'm preoccupied. That's all right. There's more where that came from. April says, oh, that's cool. You have a great evening. I'm glad you're here listening, hon. That's right. Fab Daddy says, Lisa Reen, prettiest damn woman I've ever seen. I believe you're probably right. I've never seen her, so I can't make that assertion, but she sounds lovely. Me too, Jake, says April. The coffee thing? Yeah. Yep, it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> Imagine that, Jake. Imagine what? Imagine me and you and you and me together and we're happy and we'll always be. There's no one left but me for you and you for me. We're happy together or something. Oh, see? I'm a hopeless romantic heart. What am I supposed to be imagining, by the way? I don't know. Anyway, it's going to be nice. Oh, cold coffee. Blech. Blech. Cold coffee and hot Mountain Dew. Sacrilegious. It's in the Bible, I think. Hello. I can't see me loving. I can't see me loving nobody but you for all my life. That's a good song. They had good good stuff in the 80s. Kind of miss it. I wish they'd bring some of that back. Okay, y'all didn't come to hear me jibber-jabbering. Let's get after it, shall we? Can we go down? Hello. Do you like my stained glass background? Let me cover it up for you. Can I have a book, please? Appreciate that. April says, yep and yep. Yep and yep. You're as bad as me saying also and also also. Let's go. Love it. Yeehaw. I swear to God I'm going to send you guys some pom-poms. All right. If you got your Bibles handy, crack them open. Brush the dust off. Blow on it. Open it up to chapter 27, verse 7 of 1 Samuel. And let's see what David's doing. And it reads, And at the time David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. That's more than a full year, by the way. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites. Now, before we go any further, remember, when Israel, the, the group of nomads that left Egypt, first came to Canaan, they were instructed to go in and kill everybody. Man, woman, child, beast, doesn't matter. Kill them all. Why? Because they are groups of people that belong to nine different tribes 
of people that are descended from fallen angels, the angels that came down on Mount Hermon in the days of Moses, or shortly there before that. They mated with women, and then they had children, and then those children had children. And this nation is built of those people. They worship false gods. They're doing rituals like passing babies through fire. They're doing all manner of evil things that God really don't like. So when he evicted them from Canaan, he sent a replacement group, Israel, and he told Israel to rid the land of these people, kill them all, don't spare none, don't take their gold, don't take their stuff, don't take their cattle, kill it all, wipe it clean. Well, they didn't do that exactly. They battled and they won, but they left some alive. And it became a problem again shortly thereafter. And that problem persists right on through the Bible because they will not do what God told them to do. But that will make you understand what David does next is following the law of God, following his original decree to kill these people. And among them are the Amalekites and the Gezerites and the Gershurites. Gesherites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. So these people are the people that were there when Israel came from Egypt into there. And they did not do what God told them to do, and they were punished for that many times over cast into slavery, lost battles, lost ground. And then they would repent and God would come back and save them and build them back up to a strong nation again. And then they would fall. And it's a never ending cycle over and over and over and over again. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive. Now you're thinking, David, a man after God's own heart was killing everybody. Yes, because that's what God told them to do, and he's just trying to fulfill that. And took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Akish. That's where he started at, in Akish. He went out, conquered, and came back. Akish is a place and a person, by the way. <coughs> the, the place is named after the person. And Akish said, Whither have you made a road today? Did you build a road so that we can travel to these places? And David said, Against the south of Judah and against the south of the Jerharmelites and against the south of the Kenites. Kenites are the descendants of Cain from Genesis. You can't say Cainites because there's already a Canaan, which is a different place. Canaan and Cain are not the same person. So they went with Kenite, K-E-N-I-T-E, to describe his offspring. And David, and it would help you, by the way, to know who the Kenites are. Jesus Christ identifies them in the Gospels. And he says he's talking to a group of Pharisees. Those are the people who write laws and argue laws like biblical laws, like they're like biblical lawyers. And then there's scribes who write records and keep, you know, tabbed of everything. And he's talking to these people, and he calls them out. He says, you are of your father, the devil. That's a name. He's calling them who they are. They are descendants of Cain, whose father was the devil. Do you understand? 
And he says it more than once. He calls them a den of vipers. He, he refers to them as serpents because they are of the serpent seed. So it will help you to know who the Kenites are all through the Bible. And they are identified by their fruit. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us, saying, so did David, and so will be his manner. All the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. In other words, he didn't leave any prisoners to go and tell people he was on the warpath because they would all know as long as he's there, that's what's going to be happening. I'm coming for you next. And Akish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant forever. Not true, Akish. It's the other way around. But you, 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 you have misunderstood the situation. You think that people of Israel abhor David. They hate him. They don't. They love him. He is their savior. They just don't know it yet because he hadn't done it yet. He's working on it, though. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together to warfare, to fight with Israel. And Akish said unto David, Know thou assuredly, be certain you understand this, that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. I'm taking you all. You're going to be my soldiers. Akish is trying to get a little big in the britches here. It's not going to work out for him. But anyway, and David said to Akish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. Surely you understand what we're capable of. And Akish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. I'm going to appoint you to be my right-hand man forever. You can keep, you can be general of my army, is what Akish is saying, because he knows what kind of warrior David is and his men. His little ragtag team of 600 men, specifically, made up of farmers and you know, laborers and, you know, poor people that came with him when he left Saul's dominion. 600 men. They nearly conquered the, the known world, those 600 men. And David said to Akish, Surely thou know what thy servant can do. And David, oh, I read that one. Now, Samuel was dead. This happened a couple of years ago, Samuel died. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah. Even in his own country, and Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. What? That's random. Oh, no, it's not. Because in these days, there were people who were closer to their descendants because they lived longer. And in these particular days, I can explain this to you in a, in a manner of speaking, in a, in a visual. If you think about... The, the Greek pantheon, the gods, and you've got Kronos and Zeus and all of those guys, the big gods, and then beneath them you got their offspring, which are demi-gods, uh, uh, Apollo, um, not Apollo, he's one of the big ones, um, Hercules and, and uh, uh, can't think of his name, Hercules. All of those guys are demigods. And then beneath them, you got people who are like soothsayers and wizards and, and magi and psychics and seers. And then beneath those people, their offspring are a little less powerful. They are 
uh, people with intuition and the ability to read the stars and that sort of thing. And then beneath that, you got their offspring, which are sensitive and talented and, you know, charming. And they have wherewithal, but not to the power of their ancestors. So every time a new generation is born, they get further away from the source, which are fallen angels, which mean they get less powerful. And these days is the days of the wizards and the familiar spirits and the talking with the dead and the necromancy and all of that stuff. That's what's going on while David is coming up into his power. So keep that in mind as we go forward because it's going to come to play soon. But Saul had put away these people. He had made it, he had outlawed the practice of the dark arts, the practice of black magic and wizardry. So he's put them away, right? Made it illegal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. Now remember, Saul is still acting as king over all Israel. So they're under his supervision at this point. But it won't be that way for long because David's coming up. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly trembled because this is a big army way bigger than anything Saul has. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Why? Because God's already cut him off. He's already messed up so much. God don't want to have anything else to do with him. God has said, you are no longer king. I took that away from you back when Samuel was still alive. I'm not answering you now. So here's Saul in the midst of a battle with an army he can't defeat. And he's terrified, and he calls for God to help him and give him direction, possibly win the war for him. God ain't answering. The phone just rings. Neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. What is a Urim? I know what a prophet is, and I know what a dream is, but what's a Urim? Urim is half of an object called a Urim and Thummim. What that is is a box with a rock in it. I know it sounds weird, but that rock is white on one side and black on the other side, and this is how you do it. You shake the box, and then you ask a question, yes or no question. Then you reach your hand in the box and pull the rock out, and whatever side it is, white means yes, black means no, that's the answer to the question. This is a way, a diviner's way of talking to God in those days. Does it work Probably not. It's probably chance. But they believed it worked, and they used them, Urim and Thummims. They even have them hanging on the breastplate of the wizards, I'm sorry, the priest's outfit in the temple. They have a Urim and Thummim on the breastplate. So they absolutely believed that God would speak to them through this device, yes or no. It's basically a magic eight ball with only two answers. But that's what a Urim is. So now you know you live with it. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. Oh, you mean the women that you outlawed? They're probably in jail or dead. You want one of those? Probably not a good idea. That I may go to her and, and inquire of her. He wants to consult a medium. That's what he wants to do. He wants to talk to someone who can talk to the dead. Well, guess where the dead are? The Bible says that when you die, your spirit instantly goes back to the Father who gave it. That means you're not here. You're with God when you die. You may not be aware of it until Judgment Day, but you are there. So, if you find someone who is talking to a dead relative, 
That's not your dead relative talking. That's a familiar spirit that is pretending to be your dead relative. He may know things that only your dead relative would know. He may sound, look, and act like your dead relative, but it's a demon. It's a fallen angel. So don't ever associate with those things. It ain't what you think it is. Here's proof. And his servant said, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit in Endor. Endor? You mean where the Ewoks live? No, that's Andor. Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment, and he went, and the two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom shall I name unto thee? Who? Who on earth would Saul, dressed in his little costumes and nobody can recognize him as king, despite the fact that he's a foot taller than everybody else in the country and blonde-headed, he's in a costume, so nobody knows it's him. And he's talking to a woman who is possessed by a demon, a familiar spirit. The word demon does not exist in the Hebrew. We made that word up to describe something we don't have a word for, which is a familiar spirit. So he's going to ask her to conjure up Samuel, the dead prophet of God. Well, here's the problem. Samuel's not here. He's with God. So whatever he conjures up will not be Samuel. <coughs> and the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done. Wink, wink. How he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? Are you trying to trick me, mysterious eight-foot-tall person who is obviously not King Saul? Are you trying to trick me so that I die? You think I'm stupid? Do I got stupid written on my forehead? Uh-uh. And Saul swear to her by the Lord. Really, you're going to invoke the name of God while talking to the devil's leagues. Not a smart man, this Saul. Saying, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Well, how could you say that if, unless you're the king? Because you don't speak for the king unless you're the king. Well, she obviously knows he's the king. He's not fooling anybody with his costume. Then said the woman, who shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. Samuel, the guy who died a year or two ago, the prophet of God, you want me to bring him up to you, a stranger, in a costume for no apparent reason? Clearly not Saul, who Samuel was the advisor of. Then, then, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Duh. Lady, you're just now, you're going to pretend that Samuel told you that? And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? What did you see? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. Do gods come from out of the earth, from beneath? No. God is in heaven, which is associated with above, right? So if she saw a lowercase g God coming from the depths of the earth, who you reckon that was? 
And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Saul. Notice that he perceived it was Saul. It wasn't or Samuel. It wasn't Samuel. He perceived it to be Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself, as he did when Samuel was alive. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Right off the bat, he's being deceptive because that's not Samuel. And he came up of his own accord. The woman is already possessed by a demon. And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. So let me get this straight. God won't answer you. God Almighty. The prophets won't answer you. Your little Urim and Thummim won't answer you. But you want Samuel the prophet, quote unquote, to answer you. Does this make sense to you? Or are you just grasping at straws? Hmm. Then Samuel said, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and is become thine enemy? What would you have me do since God Almighty has turned against you, Saul? What do you think I should tell you? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even unto David. You are no longer king. You have no more power. You're just a man, desperate, ready to lose a battle. And you want me to help you. Do you not understand the situation you're in? This is what Samuel is explaining to him. You're not King Saul. You're just Saul. David has replaced you. God has taken your power and your kingdom away from you. He's turned as, as if, if he's your enemy. What is it that you think I can tell you? Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord. That's why this is happening to you, because you did not obey what you knew to be true from the mouth of God. Let this be a lesson to you all. When you know you are in the wrong, you obey Almighty God, and it will work out. If you refuse, if you go against what you already know to be true, you will pay the price. <clears throat> you obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executed his fierce wrath upon Amalek. You didn't even do that. David is out there right now killing the Amalekites. Why didn't you do it when you were king? When you knew that's what God wanted. From the beginning. From the moment the Israelites came into Canaan, that was their charge, to kill the Amalekites and the other eight tribes. You refused. Why? Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. That's why you're in the boat you're in, Saul, because you are a hard-headed moron. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow thou shalt or sorry, shalt thou and thy sons be with me tomorrow? Dead. That's what Samuel just told him. Tomorrow you're going to die, and so are all of your sons. Are you happy you came to see me? Because that's what I'm telling you is going to happen. The Lord also shall deliver the host 
of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. You're going to lose the whole kingdom, buddy. You're not only going to lose your life, you're going to lose this war, but you're also going to lose your sacred ground. You will no longer be a sovereign nation. You will be slaves to the Philistines. Congratulations. You win the trifecta of moron. Then Saul fell straight away along on the earth, all along on the earth, and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. So he's just weak. He, he, he's in shambles. He's in pieces. He's tired. He's hungry. He's weak. He's probably dehydrated. He's been running around being a wild man for so long. And now he understands his life is over in just a few hours. And there's nothing he can do to stop it. And the woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Behold, thine handmaid hath obeyed thy voice, and I have put my life in my hand, and I have hearkened unto thy words which thou spakest unto me. You remember you promised me I wouldn't be punished for this, right? I know you're laying here dying and all, and I'll nurse you back to health, but don't forget you promised I was okay. You ain't going to, like, have me beheaded or anything. Now, therefore, I pray thee, hearken thou also unto the voice of thine handmaid, and let me set a morsel of bread before thee to, and, and eat, that thou mayest have strength when thou goest on thy way. Let me feed you. You're obviously parched. You're obviously hungry. Let me do something nice for you so that you remember not to kill me later. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, compelled him, and he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed and ate him a little piece of bread. Got feeling better. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it and took flour and kneaded it and did bake unleavened bread thereof. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. Then they rose up and went away that night. Yeah, he got right back up on his feet. All you need is a little dinner every now and then, folks. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. That fountain has been located, by the way. It is where it says it is. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed on in the rearward with a kish, his little 600-man group facing an army of hundreds of thousands. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, and have I found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day? And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place which thou hast appointed him, and let him go not down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. See, they hadn't forgot that he killed Goliath. They know who David is, too. And they're kind of afraid of him. He's a bit of a wild man on the battlefield, you know. He tends to get it done. And so they're telling Akish in private, David's over there doing some stuff, and they're saying, hey, 
How about send him home in case we get out here on the battlefield and he decides to fight us? It ain't going to be a good look. So, you know, how about take him away from here? For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands? Yeah, that's David. That's the guy. <clears throat> it's just a song, but pretty accurate. And uh, yes, you are Philistines. And yes, you are his enemies by natural right. But at this particular moment, he's working with a kish, and whatever serves the agenda of a kish, David is apt to do because he's not working with Saul. In the end, David is a patriot. He, he fights for the side he's on, you know. Then Achish called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright. You had not lied to me, have you, David? Surely as God lives, you're telling me the truth. You're not here to kill us, right? <laughs> and thy going out and thy coming in with me in the host is good in my sight. For I have found not evil. I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me unto this day. Nevertheless, the lords favor thee not. Lowercase lords. Uh, they don't like you. Uh, you're a good man as far as I'm concerned. I hadn't found anything wrong with you, but they are kind of afraid of you, so, you know. Wherefore now return and go in peace, that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. You're, you're worrying the men. Go back to the house and hang out for a while so these guys don't freak out and run. And David said unto Akish, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servants so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight against the enemy of my lords, the king? Um, again, David is a patriot. He fights for the side he's on. And right now, at this moment, his interests align with Akish. So obviously, he's going to fight with Akish. He's not trying to kill Akish's army, even though they're Philistines. They are not at, at odds right now. So David is confused. He doesn't know what the problem is. Had not been a good soldier? And Akish answered and said to David, I know that thou art good in my sight, as an angel of God. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, What shall not go, or he shall not go up with us unto battle? We don't want him there. That's what they said. I I think you're fine. I think you're a great dude. You're like an angel sent from heaven. Everything I've ever asked for. But they kind of worried about you. Because remember, you cut off the giant's head, their champion, with a rock and his own sword. So, you know, not a good match. Wherefore now, rise up early in the morning with thy master's servants that are come with thee. And as soon as ye be up early in the morning and have light, depart. Go on, go home. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return into the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag had smitten Ziklag, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag. So they, they took the city he was headed to, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein, and slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So basically, they made slaves of all the women and the children and burned the city. 
So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burning with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Remember, Ziklag is where David and his ragtag army left their families to be safe. Now they're being held captive by the Amalekites. Whew. I wouldn't want to be the guy that made David mad, that's all I'm saying. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep because their families have been taken captive and their city is burnt to the ground. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinom, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Remember that story. So both of his wives are gone. The only one he's got left is Michal, and she's been given to another dude. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The people were so upset because they're following David. He's basically their king already. And he's allowed this to happen. And their sons and daughters and wives are gone. So they, they're understandably upset and have even considered stoning him. But David got on his hands and knees where a good king belongs, on his hands and knees praying to God. And David said to Abiathar, the, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. What is an ephod? An ephod... Hmm. I always get these confused. An ephah is a container, and an ephod is a vest. I think that's how that works, one or the other. Anyway, I think he's talking about the priest's garb. I'll find out in a minute. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after the troop? Yes, yeah, see, what David is doing is using that Urim and Thummim that is hanging off of the ephod, like I told you about earlier, to ask God a question. Yes or no? Shall I pursue after the troops, or shall I overtake them, or shall I stay here and go on my merry way? So notice that even though his wives and their his men's wives, daughters, and children have been taken captive, even then he inquires of the Lord first. This is something you should all do. Ask God for permission to do whatever it is you plan to do. If he says yes, then you do it. If he says no, then you don't, and you'll know, because if it's yes, it'll be easy. It'll fall into place. Everything will just happen like it's supposed to. If it's no, you're going to hit wall after wall after wall, and nothing is going to work right, and that's just the way it is. So David sent Abiathar to get the ephod, and he got the Urim and Thummim, and he's asking God. <clears throat> David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after the troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. One word. That's all you need. Yes. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover them all. That's the kind of man David is. He's got God's ear. He's a man after God's own heart. So David went, he and his 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. 
But David pursued. He found 400 men, or 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. They were tired, so they made camp on this side. The rest of the men went on. So David went past those guys and went and found the guys that were still moving. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread, and he did eat. And they made him drink water, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drank any water three days and three nights. So this man's laying in the field starving to death. He's all but given up. So they found him and brought him to David, and like a good king, he showed mercy to his captive, fed him, and got him back to his strength. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? Where did you come from, and who are you? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me, because three days along I fell sick. Three days ago. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said unto him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? Can you show me where these men are? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to the company. Make sure that I'm going to survive, and I will capitulate. I will help you find these bad guys, because I'm just a servant. I'm not one of them. I just do my job. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad all upon the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. These guys were throwing a party because they thought they'd won the war. They've got away with it scot-free. They have no idea David is quick on their heels. And David smote them from the twilight even until evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save the 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. Those are the only ones that survived. He killed them all without mercy, slaughtering them all day long from daylight till dark the next day. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. What a damn man. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that, had, that they had taken to them. David recovered it all. They didn't lose anything. None of the women were defiled. None of their gold was spent. They got it all back, sons and daughters and all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those cattle and said, This is David's spoil. I'm taking the cattle. You guys can have your wives and your children back. I'm taking all this cattle, and that's going to enrich me even more. In those days, if you had a lot of cattle, you were considered a rich man. And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor. They're still back there camping, recuperating, because they're exhausted. And he came back. He already killed all their other men. And he went forth to meet, and they went forth to meet David and to the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. 
Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, which is a false deity, a false god, of those that went with David and said, because they were because they went not with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So he brought their families back to him and said, y'all get on now. You got your families back. You ain't getting none of my cattle. You couldn't even make it across the river. I went. I killed all those people. You're laying here panting and a huffing and a puffing because you can't make it any further so you take your families and go i don't need you anymore then david said you shall not do so my brethren with that which the lord hath given us who hath preserved us and delivered the company that camest against us into our into our hand yeah you see how David gives God the credit for this win? David did the killing, but it was God that delivered those people. He set the scene. He made it so that David could win. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the tough. They shall part like. What does that mean? The men that went with me into battle that faced the violence and the evil and the anger, they get the spoils of the war. The men who stayed behind in the tuft because they were tired or too scared to go into battle, they get what they got coming to them too, which is nothing. So they get equal shares of what they worked for. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't play, you don't win. You see how that works? Very simple. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a salute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. You don't work. You don't eat. Simple as that. You want to partake of the good stuff? You got to do your job. You want to make it to heaven? You got to do some work. You want to be part of this ministry? You got to reach out to people. You want to be part of your job? You got to show up on time. That's how it works. This is an ordinance to this day because of that battle. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in the south Ramoth, and to them which were in Jatir, and to them which were in Aurora, and to them which were in Sifmoth, and to them which were in Eshtoma and to them which were in Rachel, and to them which were in the cities of the Jeromalites, Jer, Jer, mm, Jeromalites, that's it, Jeromalites, and to whom which were in the cities of the Kenites, and to them which were in Horma, and to them which were in Chorishan, and to them which were in Athak, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to haunt. Wherever they must have went, wherever they were needed, wherever they needed to go, whomever they needed to please, whomever they needed to defeat, that's where 
David sent portions of this spoil to, to all the people that were there with him when he needed them. And that's the beauty of the book of 1 Samuel. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons, all dead now. We have left David and went over to Saul. And his remember, he had spoken to what appeared to be Samuel the prophet <coughs> the night before and was told him and his sons were going to die today. And so now they're in the midst of the battle and his sons have fallen, meaning he knows his children are dead. He has to live with that for the rest of his life, which ain't very long. But that's a pain no father ever should have to experience or mother. And the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. He's got arrows sticking out of him. And then Saul said unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it himself, committed suicide that day. Now why didn't the armor-bearer do it for him? The armor-bearer is a, his name is Abner, by the way, and uh, he is a righteous, upright man at this time, and he believes that Saul is the anointed of God, and no man should ever come against something that God puts up. What God puts asunder, or what God puts in, in, in operation, no man can tear asunder. That's the phrase, something like that. Anyway, he's well aware of this fact, and he ain't going to do it. I'm not killing you. I don't care if you're asking me to. And he was asking him to because he didn't want to do it himself. And he also didn't want to be abused by these uncircumcised Philistines who would more than likely and undoubtedly rape him and murder him and drag his body around and show it off. He wants to be out of here for that. So he took out his sword and he fell upon it himself. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead he fell likewise upon his own sword and died with him because that's the kind of man he was, armor bearer to the end. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. They're all dead, all of them. That's what happens when you go against God. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain and they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. Look, we have killed King Saul. Here's his head. Here's his leg. Anybody for a penis? They did that. 
And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, which is another false deity, a false god, Ashtaroth. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. So what was left of his body, they nailed it to the wall so that everybody could see that King Saul, the mighty King Saul of God, has been defeated. And when the inhabitants of Jebesh-Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jebesh and burnt them there, a proper burial for a king. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jebesh and fastened and fasted for seven days. They didn't eat anything for seven days in memoriam of their king and his sons. After all, though Saul was an evil man, he wasn't always. He started out as a really good king, and he was anointed by God himself. So he commanded a lot of respect, even in his death. And so ends the first book of Samuel, and that's where we're going to stop. We'll pick up tomorrow. Not tomorrow. We'll pick up Sunday. The second book of Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1. Man, what a fantastic read that was. I hope that it touched your heart. I hope that you found some solace. I hope that you found some inspiration. I hope that it touched your heart and causes you to reach out with both hands to your Father Almighty God and build a relationship with Him. Build some form of communication so that you can know your place in the role of all things and so that you can seek comfort in the resting place, the Shabbat of Almighty God. Won't you please do me a favor while you consider those things and hit that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online. Smash the like button. It's right down there. It's a good thing. It's free. It's effortless and it really does help the channel with the algorithms and it helps us get recommended to other people. Share this video with somebody you love. Better yet, share with somebody you don't love. Bring them into our family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave a comment down below and let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform with me, drink my Kool-Aid, make your own Kool-Aid as long as you're thinking critical. That's what I want. Critical thought coming from that brain of yours and hey, if you love the Word of God and you can see the value in what I'm trying to build here and you'd like to help out, or if you feel led to send your tithes, offerings, or love offerings, or if you'd just like to pat me on the back and say, hey, good job, Jake. I see what you're getting at here. You can do that. You can support my work by going to paypal.me slash jakejohnsonband. Or if you're a Cash App user, you can go to dollar sign Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a win-win. It's a blessing to me. It's a blessing to you, too, because God notices these things, and we do live in a reciprocal universe. And now, I will do everything in my power to be worthy of your contribution by answering all of your questions and comments in the chat. How is it? How did you like that? Did you learn anything? Do you feel enlightened? Do you feel a little bit scared? Do you know better than to talk to uh, people in indoor? <laughs> Do you know better than to reach out to dead loved ones? Because they're not there. And uh, the information you're going to get will not be profitable for you. God does not want you to see the future. He wants you to live in the future. So you must go do that.
Now, let me catch up with the chat real quick. Walter Davis, what's up, my brother? Good to see you. Glad you could drop by. Amanda says, hi, Walter. April says, hello, Walter. Welcome in. Good to see you, love. Walter says, hi, Jake. April, Amanda, Lizarine, Fab. April says, are you all right? Everything okay? Yes. I didn't get a lot of information Monday night. Are you okay? Is your friend okay? What's going on? Is there anything we can do to help? Walter says, I'm okay. Good. Walter says, Saul was a bad king. He took the coward's way out. Yes, he did, and yes, he was, but he didn't start out that way. That's proof that you can backslide, that you can start out with the blessings of God, with his finger on your life, and you can make your way all the way to being an evil piece of dirt that falls on your own sword. You have to work at righteousness. It's not free. You have to make decisions. You have to make choices, and they're not always fun. Do you know that the only thing stopping you from cheating on your wife is, well, one, the opportunity to find a piece of tail, but the other is your choice. You can choose not to do so. You can choose to be honorable, to be loyal, to be faithful, to be honest. You can also choose not to be. You have free will. You can do whatever you want to do. This is your ship. You're the captain of it. You can sail across the seven seas. Or you can drive that sucker right into the rocks. Either way, God will let you do it because it's your choice. You have a choice. That was the infinite love of Almighty God to give you a choice so that you're not a robot, so that your love is earnest because you chose it. See how that works? April says, whoa, yeah, I'm going to blow your mind. Walter says, I, I read that one. Okay. So sad, says April. Yeah, it's kind of a sad story, the ending of Saul and the beginning of David. OMG, says April. Great read, Jake. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. You were a great listener. Amanda says, good read, Jake. See, she only thinks it was good. So you're overshooting a little. April says, I just subbed, Mandy Love. Your profile, by the way. Uh, I, I loved your profile, by the way. Woohoo. Thanks, April, says Amanda. April says, I think we know better, LOL, better than to do all those things. Yes. Lisa Reen says, that was interesting. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Lisa Reen. Thank you for listening, and I appreciate you being here. It means a lot. April says, yes, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad you did. Well said, Jake. Thank you, April. And I'm caught up. That's the end of the chat on there, so say something. Questions, comments, criticisms, catharsis, catalogs, karaoke. Karabuki? What is that? Karaoke? Kabuki? Karabuki. Kabuki theater, but karaoke style. He's lost his mind. April says, you're welcome. We love you. I love you too. You mean the world to me, doll. You do. And frankly, I don't give a damn. But I do. It's good Mountain Dew. Well, that was interesting. I enjoyed it very much. We love you, Jake, says Amanda. Thank you, sweetie. I love you, too. Very nice. Very nice to have you all here. Very nice to listen to you talk. Very nice to answer your questions, if you have any. If you don't, it's nice to know that you know. 
and we got there together. I don't know what that, I don't know the words. I just made them up. Puff, puff, you cracked me up when you went to take a drag and it was out. Yes, it happens. I can't keep a cigarette lit. I'll sit here and hold it until it goes out. Amanda says, damn, April, we said the same thing. Yes, you did. I bet you both meant it, too. It's a lit now, though. What? A pastor that smokes? Well, yeah, I'm a sinner, right? Never claimed not to be. I always said, would you rather some pasty, thin, pencil-neck nerd who's never seen daylight a day in his life, who's never experienced a thing good or bad, who's never spent any moment without his nose in a book, would you rather that guy tell you what's right and wrong, or this guy who's been road hard and put up wet, who's had many wives and many girlfriends and many children and many failures and calamities and many, many nights of pain to know right and wrong. So I tell you it's wrong, believe me, I know, because I did it and it hurt. April says, you, absolutely, yes, I agree. <laughs> That is the job of a pastor anyway, is to guide his flock. I'm trying. I'm trying the best I can. Without, you know, getting too preachy or Bible thumpery. It's kind of hard to do this job without that, though, because there's some, some level of worship required. It's inherent in the job title. So, you know, I can't go all the way atheist but I can go academic and stay in the middle, and that's what I try to do. And I hope that that comes across, and I hope that you feel that. Because I certainly am in no position to judge anybody. Believe that. Nor will I. I don't like churches where they try to make you feel bad for being a, a human being. I don't like that. People have lives. People have to learn. People have to make mistakes to learn. That's your job, is to be there to pick them up when they make a mistake, not to condemn them and tell them they can't be there because they made mistakes. You're no better. All you highfalutin' preachers out there. April says, I love how you make it fun. Well, thank you. You do a fine job of teaching, Jake, says Lisa Reem. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that very much. And I hope, I hope so, because that's the goal here, is to make it accessible to make it understandable to make it reality because here's the problem and i see this a lot of people read the bible but they just read over it they have no idea that what they're reading is actual history that occurred by people that had lives every person we talked about in the bible today every one of those people had brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends and family members and enemies and they went to the store they had diarrhea, they ate pizza, whatever, you know, they were people. They lived. They had full lives until their lives were snuffed out. And I think some of that humanity needs to be put back into it, and I'm trying to do that. Yes, you explained very well, Jake. Thank you, Amanda. appreciate you. 
<clears throat> Outer Territories. I knew you were hiding back there somewhere. Free will explain, explains the famous people. Why would God allow this? If a giant hand came down from the sky and every knee scraped, well, and every knee scrape, we'd be sheep in a cor corral. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Free will is necessary. It's a... It's hard to wrap your head around that when you're first getting started because the big picture thing, people want to see God as black and white. They want to see good versus evil, but it's not that way at all. It's a very gray world we live in. It's not black and white. Truth is black and white. It's either true or it's not. No in between. But God in his infinite wisdom understood that light requires darkness for it to have an effect. If there's no darkness and you turn the lights on, that means nothing. It has no value. There's no perception possible. Only darkness can make light visible. So only evil can make good valuable. If there's no evil, good means nothing. Has nothing to offer. So he made a choice for you to make. You can take two paths. And you have the free will to do so. Whatever it is you choose to do. Here's the difference. He gave you a book that told you what you should do. Gave you all of the information. Put it all in your hands. And said, now, get educated. Understand your surroundings. And make a choice. That's it. And a lot of people missed that first step. It's very important that you understand the game you're playing before you go casting your dice. Because if you don't understand the game, you cannot very well play it. And I think that's wise. It's wise to see it in that way. Good call there, Outer Territories. Amanda says, hi, Outer. Territories says, ladies. The ever consummate gentleman. And April says, hello, love. Good to see you, Outer. Outer Territory says, I believe in intervention at times, too. And without conflict, there's no plot, April. Yes, God does intervene, but he does it at his will. And he does it when he deems it necessary, not when you ask for it. I mean, you can ask for it. Don't mean he's going to do it, but he very well may. That's one of those things where you just had to roll the dice and hope, like Saul, ask for help. And God didn't answer him because he was done with him. Why did God not answer him? Well, because Saul didn't keep up his end of the bargain. He didn't put forth the effort required to be the anointed of God. Because if you're anointed of God, I assure you, you have responsibilities. I assure you, it is incumbent upon you perceiving God and his desires for you. So understand that. If you want to be anointed, you can be. God will put the Holy Spirit right on you. But with great power comes great responsibility. And you have to do what's right. And you have to walk an upright path. And if you fail to do so, if you fall back into your sinful ways, there's only so much of that God's going to take. Now, Jesus said, when someone asked him, will God forgive me seven times? Jesus said he'll forgive you seven times 70, which is a Hebrewism. It means forever. It's a, a random big number that you can't calculate in your head, basically. So he said he'll forgive you forever. No matter how many times you ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. Here's the catch. You have to mean it. 
You can't just use it as a crutch. You can't just get a get out of jail free card and say, oh, I'm going to ask for forgiveness when I'm done doing this and I'll just get on by with it. No, it don't work that way. You have to see the error, understand the mistake and feel genuinely sorry that you did it. If you do that, then it's wiped off of your book because God keeps a record of everything you do. It's called the book of life and he writes it down. He can just as easily erase it, though, if you ask for forgiveness. Now, here's the other catch. Once you've asked for forgiveness, you have to have faith that you've been forgiven. That means you have to put it away. You can't dwell on it. You can't keep bringing it up. You can't keep falling back on the guilt. Let it go because God let it go. He'll never bring it up again. Neither should you. Move forward. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Simple as that. Just go on. You're free. No price. You're, you're forgiven. Just don't do it again. Hopefully that helps somebody. Outer Territory says, I watched little kids die of leukemia, but I've also witnessed a 12-year-old girl just come back to life against all medical science, drowning victim. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and here's the thing that bothers a lot of people. They don't understand why God lets some things happen. Well, it's that free will thing. Choices were made. That's what the inevitability of that circumstance required. If a wall falls on a bunch of construction workers, are they all guilty of sin? Are they all being punished? No, they were under a wall that fell. It's circumstance. They're no more guilty than the next guy or less, but they just happened to be at the wrong place when the wall came down. Same thing with little kids. Sometimes things happen. I bet if you went and looked, you'd find that things like leukemia are probably man-made. You'd probably find a spot somewhere in the past where some human being is responsible for that action happening. Directly or indirectly. Or a group of things. It ain't God that's killing those people. But it is life. And also, God views death differently than we do. We view death as finality. It's the end. We die. We're no longer here. We can't see the world beyond death. It's terrifying. We face our mortality. It's horrifying. God don't see it that way because he knows what happens 10 minutes after you're dead. It's just another day in a different place. So it's, it's easy to miss that. It's very hard to grasp it. But once you do, you know that when your loved ones die, they're with Father. That's better than anything this place has to offer, I promise. So be grateful when they die. Mourn when they're born. That's when the trouble starts. Walter says, Hi, Montana. Outer Territory says, Yo, Walter. April says, yes, love, true. Well said, Jake. Thank you, ma'am. Outer says, I've had a lot of trouble when mentioning that in public. Some people are openly hostile, as in why did she get to live, etc. I understand that. I understand that, but don't ask me, right? Yeah, well, I don't know why she got to live. I don't know why she died. <coughs> God knows. I trust God, don't you? Look at what he's done. You can't do that. I can't do that. So 
we have to appeal to the higher authority here. And authority it is. He is the king of all things. He is the master. We are the servants. We must bow our faces to the ground and show obeisance. We must humble ourselves before Almighty God. And when you do that, when you allow him to take over, Jesus, take the wheel. When you allow that, you come away with a new perspective of life. You come away with an enlightenment and a lightness, a comfort, because now you know somebody's driving and it ain't you. Always ask God. He knows the reason, says April. Or, or always God knows the reason. Um, I'm adding words. My brain is firing. Anyway, maybe that helps somebody. I don't know. I hope it does. Um, some of these things are hard to live with. Some of them are easy. Some of them are perplexing, keep you up for days. Some of them will wreck you to the point where you never recover. Believe me, look at my face. I know some things that will wreck you that you'll never recover from. I know it well. But I can tell you that there's a reason for it, even though I don't know what that reason is. I can tell you that much I know, that all things are evidence of design, that it's a plan, that there's something happening greater than me. And that's enough. That's enough to keep moving forward. That's enough to trust the process. That's enough to hope that I end up erring on the right side of things. And I try. I try to be honest. I try to be humble. I try to be honorable. I try to be friendly. I try to be helpful. I try to serve somebody. Who do you serve? Do you serve? Can you think beyond yourself? These are all good questions. Only you have the answers to, but I assure you life is better if you're serving somebody. It's better. If you give, you receive. Or you can just be stagnant and alone and scared. But if you give, you will receive in some fashion. May not be the thing you gave, may not be the time, but something good will come of it. All things will. If nothing else, it's a start to a new confrontation. It's a beginning to a new relationship. It's a beginning to a new adventure because you're doing something. If you just lay there, nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to stop. You're just going to be what you are. But if you want something, if you need to move further, you got to get up off your lazy ass and move. It's as simple as that. There is no magic. There is no mystery. There is no predetermined whatever. It all comes down to your choice. Will you confront the day or will you hide from it? Will you reach out your hand or will you retract it? Will you take that first step or will you walk back? Will you apply yourself or will you just lay there? All of these things. It's a decision you have to make. Nobody else can make it. Other people can cheer you on. Other people can encourage you or not. But you have to believe in yourself. You have to trust in God. That's called faith. Maybe that helps. 
Outer Territory says, I don't presume to guess all the tragedies. I came to simply realize you cannot reconcile the irreconcilable. Sounds goofy, but it boils down to no way we can understand. Here, now. Trying is futile. Not necessarily. I mean, understanding is a tall order. Let me caution you on this. This is something I'm familiar with, so let me caution you. Ignorance is bliss, baby. Trust me when I tell you that a little knowledge can hurt you badly. It can shake your faith. It can rock you to your core because you can't quite see the big picture yet. But you think you can because you know some stuff. You have to work through that. You have to push past it until you actually know some stuff. A little knowledge is dangerous. That's why God says to avoid vain imaginations. That's why at the Tower of Babel, he came down himself and he said, if I don't stop these people, there's nothing they can't do. I have to stop this. Whatever it was they were doing, it wasn't good for them. It's not good for you to know everything. Some things, if you take it on faith, it actually benefits your soul to just trust in God, to not know the answers to everything. Because if you know, some things are hard to swallow. Some answers are hard to live with. Some of them hurt. Some of them make little sense. Some of them are painful. You don't need to know everything. Let yourself be guided. Let someone else suffer that knowledge. It's not fun. April says, I love you all true. Sweet dreams. God bless us all. Are you leaving us, baby? That's a great statement, MVTV. Yes, it was. And thank you both for that. Outer Territory says, good point on doing things. Want to have as much surety in results as possible. And then do nothing. Ha! Excellent. You're taking the Mai Tai approach. I got it. Work your ass off and then kick back with a Mai Tai. Let the world pass you by. Get fat and old. I got you. I'm with you, buddy. Outer Territory says, thanks, April. Amanda says, some answers fix problems, too. Yes, they do. Some do. I'm not telling you to be dumb. I'm telling you that the, the big stuff, you know, the things that people seek, the reason I've spent 35 years with my nose in a bunch of books is because I seek an answer that isn't obvious. I seek knowledge that doesn't come naturally. It's a, it's a curse in some cases to need that. If you can manage to not need that and just live with the obvious, live with the life that's before you, you'll be much, much happier. You'll be much, much safer. And you'll be a whole lot less up pacing the floors trying to ponder things out. A whole lot less of that. That's all I'm saying. Outer Territory says, thanks, April. April says, no, I'm not leaving. I just wanted to tell everyone good night. Well, it is almost 10 o'clock. I'm going to hang on till then because I'm a do or die kind of guy. And I love you guys. And I want to uh, say whatever God wants me to say so that you can hear it. See, did it again.
Outer says, the most humbling thing about the haunting I witnessed then the book was having an elderly lady come up to me after a speech, hoping I had answers way beyond my grasp. Yeah, well, sometimes that happens too. And sometimes people are fooled into reaching out to people that don't have those answers, although they pretend that they do. The Joel Olsteins, the uh, Kenneth Copelands of the world. Watch out for those people. They're snakes. They're snake oil salesmen. They don't have the answer. They don't know the answer. I don't know the answer, but I'll tell you up front I don't know the answer. That's the difference between me and them. I'm not trying to sell you anything other than me. And I told you from the get-go that's what I was doing. And you obviously bought into it or you wouldn't be here. But those people will trick you into thinking they know God personally and they can answer your prayers. They cannot. The only person that can talk to God on your behalf is you. Anybody else is an intercessor. That's it. They can intervene on your behalf. They can pray for you. But you can talk to God directly. You don't need anybody else. That's why Jesus died. <clears throat> she witnessed something herself, says Outer Territories, and only knew I saw something bizarre as well, but put my belief... Sorry. I saw something bizarre, but my belief is that paranormal stuff is almost case-to-case, -case, different things each time for most part. Well, I don't believe in paranormal things. I do believe in supernatural things because that means more natural but paranormal, I don't buy it. I need, I need to see it, and I've looked, and it's not there. But that's not saying you didn't see something. You most certainly probably saw something, but it, I don't think it was what you thought it was. I think it may have been um, one of those familiar spirits that we were talking about earlier. But I don't know. I wasn't there. And I'm not doubting you. I'm just saying that's my belief on it. I don't believe in aliens either. I definitely believe in angels, though. April says, hmm, MBTV, you witnessed that? You should read his book. I'm sure you can find a copy of it on Amazon. It's called The Marysville Haunting. Is that what it is? By Vince Moravec. Check it out. I have a copy of it. Why don't you? Outer Territory says, beyond our science for sure. It was no doubt an intelligent force working in complex, deliberate ways for ultimately objective results directly tied to the descendants. That's entirely possible. I don't know. I wasn't there. I do know that strange things have happened in this world. Read Ezekiel if you think I'm lying to you. But I couldn't tell you what those things are, but I can tell you what they are not. Most certainly, I can tell you that. I know what they're not. Haunted, Marysville, Montana. That's the name of the book by some guy named Vince Moravec, whoever that guy is. Not famous at all. Give me an email at huntermarysville.com and I will send you a free dig copy. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you for that, Outer Territories. I appreciate that. I'm trying to hype your book, man. It's a good book. He's a hell of a writer. If you don't believe me, read his comments. 
And it's also very interesting what he experienced. So you should check into that for sure. Yeah, it wasn't, oh, I think I saw or heard something. It was this event leading to this event that led to this in a perfect episodic form. April says, thank you, MVTV. Thanks, Jake. You're welcome, sir. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Any chance I get, I'll, I'll hawk your stuff because you're good at what you do, and I appreciate that. And by the way, thanks for the shout-out and the credits to your movie there. That's pretty nice. I got credits in a movie, even though I was third build. Disrespectful asshole. I do appreciate it, and it was a good movie. <laughs> I appreciate you thinking about me, though. It's very nice. I'm not sure what I did to help, but if I did anything, I'm glad it worked. All right, boys and girls, we have reached the top of the hour. Any further questions or comments? Outer Territory says, I'm happy to still be called MVTV. I have the MVTV and the 10 Mile Ranch thing and eventually may get the original back. When the misunderstanding, oh, sorry, went in the mood. I hear you. Well, I hope you do get the original back because I got used to MVTV, but I'll call you whatever you want because to me, you're just my buddy. I don't care what your name is. My name's a four-letter word. You don't hear me complaining about it. My name's been written on bathroom walls. That's when you know you're famous. Has your name been written on a bathroom wall? It's probably my mom that wrote it, but that's beside the point. Right on, Jake. Yeah. Right on. Right on. All right. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making the chat pop and always being interesting and saying all the right stuff. I just love you guys so much, and I hope something that I have to say is helpful or useful in some way. I pray every single time we do this that God lets my words come from him. So hopefully that's the case. That's definitely the business plan anyway. Have a great night. God bless you all. May peace find you and your families. May all your dreams come true. And may you have the ability to make life with your little penises. Have a great night. I'll see you guys on Friday over on rumble.com slash live, where we are going to get down and dirty and talk about things that YouTube will blush at. We love you, Jake. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate you. Good night, everyone. See you on the next one, says April. Good night, sweetheart. Sleep tight wherever you are. Good job, Jake. Good night, chat ladies, Walter and Fab, and the lurkers out there like me. Lurk, lurk. You rang, says Outer Territories. Have a great night. God bless you all. Mwah! See you next time. Be safe. Be happy. Take care of each other. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, and if you do, name it after me. And have a great night. Thanks for watching.